This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. And welcome to episode 367 of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about how Borussia Dortmund made the Champions League quarterfinals for the first time since 2017. And we will preview Saturday's topspiel against 15th place Hertha Berlin. For all that and more joins me Matthias Zug. Hello Matthias, it's uh, great to have you back. How are you doing? I am doing quite well. I mean, how can I not be doing quite well? It's, you know, I know there was some game on the weekend. I forgot about it. Just like Dortmund players seem to have forgotten yeah, about it. Yeah. So, so we will so, just so, move Somehow on. you didn't even like uh, appear on the yellow whiteboard around this game at all. What happened yeah, there? I'm sorry. I had a hangnail. I can't help it. You know, I can't, <laughs> I can't record unless I'm in total peak physical condition. So, yeah. You know, speaking of sorry. which, uh, Lars Perlman is sadly excused because he, uh, had to go to the dentist, uh, so he's not here. <laughs> uh, which is obviously sad because uh, even he arguably would have shown some enthusiasm today. So, uh, Matthias, you have to make up for all that. <sighs> so, yeah, uh, Dortmund 1-2-2 is uh, how I would describe it against Sevilla. Um, it was uh, an interesting match in a sense that, uh, uh, once again, after the uh, Bayern game that you did not want to mention, uh, Dortmund had about 33% possession. Uh, and uh, played a total of 294 passes and Dortmund's passing accuracy was at 66%, which is horrendous, especially for a Dortmund team. And uh, if you compare it to Sevilla's, who had 82% uh, of passing accuracy and 604 attempted passes, um, that kind of shows you a little bit uh, how this game went. Um, obviously, the first half was uh, very one-sided, even though Matthias, I think that uh, apart from a couple of chances that Emre Can gave away, to be honest, uh, Sevilla didn't have too many sniffs. I think there's a phrase in the English language that's called huffing and puffing. Yeah, I mean, I can remember a Lucas Campos shot pretty early uh, mm -hmm. where where there was Can some giveaway. Yep, and it, it hit the side netting. And, and I want to, I think we need to open the box of Emre Can at some point here. Uh, <laughs> not not in general. I want to make that very clear. I rate him very highly, but in a different position. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, the the thing is, we we can just tackle it right now while we're on it. I mean, uh, might as well, yeah. Um, because the truth is, in this particular tie, Amrajan gave away two goals. I want to say, right? Um, I'm not entirely sure. Um, about the uh. Uh, the the second goal that Sevilla scored, um, I mean, that's obviously also uh, it, on, there on were the back a few, line. Yeah, there were a few people that, I mean... You can you also look at the number. There. Yeah, I mean, he but, was... You, you can't, like I tweeted, you can't leave, I think he's number third or fourth in the score list in La Liga, unmarked. That's like, <laughs> what, what's going to happen next? You're going to leave a number one heading threat from a corner unmarked? That would never happen. Yeah, so basically, uh, John in the uh, first leg, uh, 
lost the young on the set piece, <laughs> which uh, um, made the tie a bit more interesting uh, for the return leg. And then obviously uh, he was a bit too close to Luke de Jong <laughs> in the second half of the second leg, uh, pushing him to the ground yeah, and uh, causing a penalty. Was a saw, that was a soft it, it was, yeah, penalty. I, 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 I give Emre Can that. It, is, it was super soft, you know. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, I think it was a little, little silly. You don't need to push off, especially given that uh, de Jong would have never reached that uh, corner uh, or that, that cross, rather, because it was... Um, and an inbound from the second phase of a corner kick. So basically Dortmund conceded uh, in this uh, game two goals that sort of resulted out of uh, corner kick rebounds for Sevilla and the ensuing crosses, which is obviously annoying because uh, I think uh, in, in, in my statistic that still technically co counts to the uh, sad pieces. Um, so uh, yeah, still something where Dortmund have to improve, but uh, overall I think Dortmund have uh, dealt relatively well Against two teams that have uh, been spamming crosses, but yeah, the other the other moment that was a real mess up was uh, when John got uh, nutmegged. I think it was Ocampos again, and then uh, laid it off to Suso, who then uh, had a shot off target. I think that was in the 18th minute. Yes, also sorry, it was, it was it was Suso. It was not Campos. It was Suso. That no, was Campos, the shot I was thinking o about. But o Campos, Campos had, had one too. Yeah, in the, in the third yeah. minute that was when. Uh, yeah, but but that's also maybe a little bit on Marvin hits to be honest. But uh, apart from that, I thought uh, Emre Can overall had, had a decent game. But the problem is, um, I personally expect from a player who has, you know, seen a lot of European nights like Emre Can a little bit more because these are these are mistakes you, you should make on that kind of level uh, with, with a player of that profile. And we all know that Emre Can can do better. So um, I, I just hope going I, forward that, that uh, he, he cuts out these, these blatant mistakes because otherwise it's, it's pretty good. He won't. He won't, Stefan. And, and I'll, have to, I'll have to break a, break a lance. <laughs> Let's take a German term <laughs> and bring it into English. <laughs> I'm going to have to break a lance. For Emre Can, I am an Emre Can fan. Always have been going back to his Leverkusen days and Frankfurt days. The The thing about Emre Can is he's a, I would consider, a top-level central midfield, box-to-box, -box, ball winning midfielder-type guy because he has that passion. He has that little bit reckless abandon and no fear. The dude has no fear. Now... That will lead him in those positions as a central defender where you are very exposed to make mistakes. He's not a natural central defender. It's not like he's a, I forget how old he is now, 27, 28? Yeah, 27. Um, 27. It's not like he's a 27-year-old Mats Hummels or Nevin Subotic or somebody like that who, who that is their position. He's put in there because he has to play. I mean, he's played right back there. He's played uh, central defender and central mid and defensive mid. He's more natural in a different position. If Zagadou is 100% fit, if Akanji is 100% fit, and Hummel is 100% fit, and Richan is not playing in that position. That being said, I can distinctly remember more than a handful of times where a last-ditch Emre Can tackle has saved Dortmund a goal because his timing on tackles is usually exceptional. For someone who can be so reckless at times, he's got great timing with tackles. 
Now, he'll fly in with a tackle where Matsumas would never do it because <laughs> Matsumas is that veteran central defender and knows if I don't time this exactly perfectly, we're going to have a problem. Emre Can doesn't really think about that. He just goes. And you, I love that in central midfield. Central defense, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, you, a few stats that I pulled out um, to kind of, you know, I thought what Iden Tezic said after the match in the press conference, I laughed so hard because he was asked about the S- Sevilla Spanish trash talking. And he said, <laughs> well, I don't speak Spanish, so I don't know what they're saying anyway, so I don't care what they're trash talking. That I mean, honestly, that's like the best trash talk back because you're like, why are you trash talking me in a language I don't understand? If you want me to get riled up, say something so I understand you. And I get that. And Sevilla acted like Sevilla. I'm a 30-year-long La Liga fan. And <laughs> they, they're I, – I tweeted it kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I mean it. I prefer Betis over Sevilla. It, Sevilla, they come across – like they have this odd – profile persona of being like a likable team and for some Spaniards they're like their second team kind of a thing no they're not if you actually watch them they are not a likable team it doesn't matter who's been on the touchline for them they're kind of dirtbags it's and and I'm going back decades that's always how I've perceived them and seen them you know the sidebar right now real quick If I may, uh, my wife and I are watching uh, Stanley Tucci searching for Italy on uh, CNN right now. Uh, it's it's quite uh, beautiful, you know, because Italy is obviously a country with rich traditions and especially the food. And I feel like we could do a similar thing for Sevilla and like the origins of shithousery. <laughs> because you you're right, they're they're dirtbags. I I have a deep passionate hate for Sevilla ever since that Europa League tie, which is also now like. 10 or 11 years ago. Anyway, continue, please. And, I don't, I and didn't I want say, to interrupt. I, and Stefan, I say this as an Atletico fan, okay? So I, <laughs> I know a thing or two about shithousing. But Atletico owns it. Simeone owns it. He has that fibra and he goes, this is who we are. Come at me. Whereas Sevilla kind of pretend like they're not that. and But that's who they are. And Lopetegui, who looks like an angry high school PE teacher, hmm. um, his... I mean, he his level of unprofessionalism truly bothered me. And his saying, oh, we didn't deserve to lose, Dortmund didn't deserve to win, et cetera, et cetera. And the Spanish press kind of went in that. And and that bothered me also because they kind of made Dortmund sound like a one-man team. It's all Holland. Uh, some some guy from The Athletic whose name I currently forget. Damon Corrigan. There you go said, well, if you put Haaland on Sevilla's team, Sevilla win that tie very easily. I'm sorry, <laughs> that's stupid. Yeah, if you, if you put if you Messi, put Ronaldo... Me, I can get pregnant, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, It all makes it, sense. You, you take Mbappé or Neymar off PSG and put them on Lyon, Lyon <laughs> wins every year. Like, it's just a nonsensical, idiotic statement from a homer. Okay, someone who's just about Spanish football. And that that bothers me. So I decided let's let's look how one dimensional Dortmund really is. And yes, passing percentage inexcusable. It reminded me a lot of an Atletico match in that <laughs> in that regard. But there are a few things that really show why Dortmund were the better team and 100% deserved to move on. In this match alone, Dortmund got dispossessed six times. Okay. Three of those were from Hazard and Royce in the attacking third. 
Sevilla was dispossessed 24 times, 12 of those in their own half and third. That says so much as to who's pressing effectively, where they're pressing, and where they are maintaining their possession. Sevilla couldn't maintain possession where it mattered and when it mattered. If you lose possession in the attacking third, fine. That happens. You expect that. If half of your dispossessions happen in your own half or worse, your own defensive third, you're not playing well and all that other possession and pass percentage don't mean shit, okay? Because you are losing the ball in horrible places. And Dortmund's transition from pressing, getting, and attacking is so fast. And this is without Jaden Sancho, mind you. (laughs) that that makes a huge difference. The other thing is Sevilla, like you said, they pass it 604 times, right? 47 of these cumulative pass attempts were crosses. Dortmund, I think, had five or six. If a team crosses that much, that means they're running out of answers. They don't know how to beat you anymore. That means they're playing against a team that is playing defensively solid and disciplined. And... Sevilla attempted 55 long balls. Dortmund attempted 51. Dortmund was sitting deeper than usual. So playing long balls and crosses against a team that's sitting compact and deep, I don't know if you know something about football, Stefan, but that tends to be something that doesn't work against (laughs) teams that sit deep and compact in a low to mid block and then press aggressively when you get close and you get dispossessed in transition. The other thing is nearly 50% of the 19 shots that Sevilla took were from outside the penalty box. Again, what that shows is a team running out of answers. They didn't know how to break Dortmund down. And what it reminds me of is when Dortmund played, for instance, against Augsburg earlier in the season or against other teams that play compact, disciplined, not lucky, but disciplined defense in a good low mid-block press. Dortmund had... A little bit less so now, but had problems breaking them down. And that's what it came down to Sevilla. When Dortmund lost against Augsburg, Augsburg deserved to win that match. Sevilla losing this tie over two legs to Dortmund, Dortmund deserved to win this tie because of exactly that. Sevilla had possession and passing, great, but they didn't do shit with it. And Lopetegui decided to specifically target passing percentage and possession and say, we had all the possession and all the passing, ergo, we're the better team. No, it doesn't matter how much you have. It matters what you do with it. And they didn't do anything with it. So there you go. And that's why we win and they got to go home. (laughs) Yeah, I I can even add to that a little bit because uh, what uh, you can see from from the uh, match logs on fbref.com, and I'm just picking out a couple of statistics, but... uh, Dortmund had the uh, most number of players tackled of Sevilla uh, this season, 36 tackles. Uh, and uh, I, I think, um, you know, it's a, it's the second most tackles one. They, they won more in the one win against Hoffenheim, but they had the most tackles uh, in the defensive third, which is tied with Bayern, which was 14, and then the most uh, tackles in the in the middle third, which is 17, which is the season record. Uh, the second best, uh, to put it in, in perspective, was the 3-1 win against Leipzig. Um, and obviously another thing uh, which sort of uh, 
is what I actually came f to the match logs to look at because uh, I, I thought, man, Dortmund blocked really a lot of things, like a lot of shots and passes. And indeed, uh, most blocks of, of shots and passes uh, in the in, in, in this game, the, the last uh, two basically were record-setting. Now, this time Dortmund blocked 28 shots and passes in total and uh, the second best was the Bayern game with 24 and uh, the 2-2 uh, draw against Hoffenheim, which really tells you a little bit about how, how Dortmund are setting up and how uh, hard they made it for, for Sevilla to, to play through them because um, I, I thought it was kind of a tight-knit midfield and... Um, you know, with Dahoud, Delaney, and Bellingham, that's something you would you would uh, want to expect. And obviously, um, Torgen Hazard and Mark Reus are both excellent at uh, at backward pressing and all these kinds of things. So um, this was a side, I guess, the the Dortmund uh, team that was really out there to defend solidly and then just hope to hit Sevilla on the counter. And that's obviously exactly exactly what they did in the, what was it, 34th minute or so, when uh, it was like a combination out of Nico Schulz and Thomas Delaney winning the ball and then uh, passing it on to Dahoud, who's... I don't know about you, Matthias, but I thought it was an excellent pass from Dahoud oh, yeah. to Royce. I'm, and then, yeah, then the cutback yeah. to Haaland and, yep. yeah, almost a tap-in. Tap but, you know, talking about Dahoud real quick, um, I think this is this is something... That has been missing for a long time in, in Dortmund midfield. And I was hoping that Julian Brandt would bring this sort of thing. Just the the, <laughs> the, the when I when I watched the, the the goal live, I didn't even notice Dahoud because he is so quick because he receives the ball, he turns around the Dahoud 180, and then that pass there was one flowing motion and it was super quick. And uh, yeah, that that's kind of amazing. And if you look, um, for example, um, for um, the uh, goal that obviously got ruled out, uh, Dahoud also has a great turn on the ball right away and passes it to Haaland. But uh, more importantly, um, the uh, first goal basically starts off with a set piece for Sevilla and uh, Dortmund then counter quickly and, and uh, get it off to Haaland. I think there was like a... Uh, Dahoud wins it in his own box and Bellingham clears it out to Haaland who who uh, maintains position possession but uh, loses it again. But the most important part is basically that when Sevilla regain possession that Dahoud of all players is running forward to press the goalkeeper Bono and uh, basically forces the pass to the right. And that then, uh, you know, kicks... Uh, Schultz and uh, Delaney into gear and then obviously it all happens very quickly from the turnover to the goal but I'm just saying that uh, the role that Dahoud is playing in a game like this um, the, the the runs he's making the, the the decisions he's making in terms of when to press and who and where uh, is is excellent and uh, that just needs to be highlighted here in, in case everyone just wants to talk about Haaland um, for this goal um, obviously uh, it, it it was a great finish and a nice cutback, but by Royce. But uh, yeah, Dahoud created that goal in 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 so many ways, and uh, I I just want to appreciate that real quick. Well, Dahoud in general, uh, I mean, aside from obviously it being down to me as to why he now is a good player, um, that motivation <laughs> just ha it just helps. Moray was next on the list, and I don't know who I can pick next. I don't think Nico Schulz it'll work for him anymore. 
but <laughs> with uh, Mo Dahoud, it it's like you mentioned, we were all hoping, A, when he came, that this would be him, but it took a long time to get here. Um, but everything kind of happens for a reason when it's supposed to happen. With Julian Brandt, Totally different types of players at this point. Uh, Brandt doesn't have the pressing resistance. He doesn't have the speed. He's a little too ballverliebt, as we would say in German, too in love with the ball. Whereas Dahut doesn't really dawdle on the ball. He likes to move it quickly and with purpose. So I'd like to know at some point in the future, his development as a player where it clicked, why it clicked, and with whom it clicked. I have a strong feeling that Lucien Favre will probably deserve a lot of credit for the development of uh, Modahut into who he is now. Uh, but that'll we'll have to see that with time. But like I said, I, I tweeted it, I don't know, today, yesterday. I don't know. I can't t- keep track anymore. But <laughs> for me, the the most important people on the pitch, obviously Haaland scores the goals and so on, but Delaney and Dahoud. I mean, those guys uh, are so. Uh, 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 uh. No, you, you, you get you get you get to throw Bellingham in there. Sorry for me, Bellingham, he was a man of Yes, Bellingham as well. Um, I'm if I'm picking two people that have been picked on in the past. That's right. where I was going with this because when Delaney first came, I will always say that I was a fanboy right away because I saw what he did at Bremen. But people were like, "Oh, he's not up to snuff. He's not our level of player." You know, a lot of arrogance thrown around from the fan base. And he has shown that it is exactly who Dortmund needed. And Dahoud, of course, came with a lot of hope and then really disappointed uh, for a long time. And now is is the player we wanted and needed him to be. Bellingham, being as young as he is, <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. amazing. And he's so fearless. What I love about the lack of fans in the stadium is you hear every little bit of trash talk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, unless, of course, the feed pumps in fake crowd noise, but even that's not loud enough and you can hear it. And he was cussing out Sevilla players <laughs> left, right, and center. That kid has <laughs> no fear, none whatsoever. And it is absolutely fantastic to see. And that's, for me, from an attitude standpoint, he is a polar opposite of Gio Reyna. Gio Reyna wilts quickly, he slumps his shoulders in his head, and pouts. Bellingham just gets on with it and keeps going. And I don't know if there's an upbringing thing. I don't know. I have no idea. But mentality-wise, and like Tezic was asked about mentality either before or after the Bayern game, and he said, well, mentality always matters in everything you do in life. So let's stop this weird discussion do you you know about mentality but Bellingham has that mentality he will never ever give up and that's why it's great to see him combined with Delaney with Dahoud and then once our central defenders are all healthy Chan <laughs> in that mix too you have four guys in there who never give up they'll always fight they'll always get stuck in their progressive movers of the ball yes they'll have to pass backwards occasionally but for the most part they shuffle it forward. Delaney, maybe a little bit less so, but he'll then give it quickly to Dahoud. So, I mean, you, he, he, he moves it around more progressively now than he did, say, a year or two ago. So the, that, those four guys are difference makers in Dalton's center of midfield. And they have changed a lot over the last three months now. Yeah. Uh, 
Bellingham, I think. I don't I don't know uh, who it exactly was, whether it was Sus Suso or uh, Juan uh, Jordan or so. Uh, but uh, <laughs> after after four was called and a severe player went down because uh, Bellingham hit him a little bit with his foot, said that he, you know, you're as soft as shit. Is what he said, and uh, the the other one I I won't even repeat because it's a bit too offensive. But uh, yeah, that was uh, toward Acuna, and uh, I think there were a couple of other uh, instances where he was trash talking, and I think um, that's that's uh, very positive for for Dortmund, you know, to to have that uh, element there, especially against Sevilla, that you don't take any shit from them, and uh, we we saw that obviously with Haaland later, the goalkeeper, which we'll talk about. In a second, but um, one one thing I wanted to actually add to Dahoot, which uh, I think is is a really uh, positive gimmick as well, is that he communicates a lot. He is coaching his team basically. Yeah, he is he's very talkative and on the field. And I think in the past that was like a point of criticism, especially since the pandemic hit. And uh, right now we have to sadly talk about like the next game will probably be the uh, anniversary of uh, Dortmund playing in front of. En empty stadiums um but uh yeah the hood uh always uh coaching his his teammates and and uh giving uh, little commands i think that's very important that uh a lot of uh players uh do that uh help each other out with with that communication i mean if i play around a rocket league with a couple of friends i can already feel how important it is <laughs> to say something in certain instances so uh if there's 11 with us 11 it's uh, even crazier uh so yeah that's that's just a very important point um i wanted to make but yeah it's uh, interesting to see uh how how bellingham is developing right now obviously he had he had his little dips as well which is perfectly normal for a 17 year old but uh You know, if you now look at the games he had against Gladbach and against Sevilla, the absolute fight he has shown, the, the hustle. Um, and uh, I, I think fearlessness is a really good word that, that describes what he's doing uh, right now as well. Um, yeah, Dortmund fans can be really uh, happy with that. I, I think I, I heard someone even invoke the name of Money Bender in uh, comparison with Bellingham, how he really... Uh, Uh, I think you you named it reckless abandon earlier in uh, in uh, regards to Emre Can. I think we can say something similar to uh, uh, or about rather about Jude Bellingham. Uh, amazing performance, just uh, so important. I don't really recall many tactical mistakes on his behalf. Uh, not really losing a lot of tackles, and if so, he's always around in the midfield scrum. So um yeah if if Dortmund keep this up uh this team can really go places and uh, I mean we are in a Champions League quarterfinal isn't that amazing Matthias just, just think about that the last time Dortmund achieved that was sadly in 2017 uh when this whole thing was overshadowed by the attack on the team bus uh and uh, then them obviously crashing out against uh AS Monaco but that kind of felt rather secondary at, at this moment in time and uh Yeah, it's been a while, so I think it's really good to to be back uh, among the best eight of uh, European top teams. And uh, yeah, it's it's amazing to to have that achievement. Now, Matthias, do you want to move on to the uh, <laughs> to the second goal that Dortmund scored? Uh, yes, yes. Um, it okay. I have made no bones about the fact that I'm a big proponent of VAR in, <laughs> in principle. 
And in theory, I think it is the right thing to do to move forward to the 21st century and act like adults and grown-ups. The problem with VAR is not VAR. The problem with VAR is you still have boneheads who operate it. Um, now, I guess technically, the referee did everything correctly. Technically, if you mm-hmm. call things according, you know, there was a foul committed by Holland in the buildup to the goal. Um, but so the goal was disallowed, but then there was a foul preceding that on Holland, which precedes the other fouls. Ergo, it is a penalty. And then the goalkeeper, who was very clearly off of his line, got an advantage, which helped him save the penalty kick. Ergo, you get to re-kick it. So on a technicality standpoint, he did absolutely nothing incorrectly, actually. I mean, by the law of the game, he did actually apply the law correctly. However, I think the foul that Holland was called for was even softer <laughs> than the penalty that Chan was called for. I mean, it, you're a defender. If a 20-year-old kid happens to run you over, even though you were the one who initiated the contacts, then that's just tough nuggies, dude. Yeah, it's you, not exactly uh, a, a fall on the Leroy and no. Neon John scale, if you no, ask me. Oh, no, no, which was a... a mm. Um, but uh, no, 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 we're staying on topic here. Staying on topic. We're not going to talk about it. It's relevant for context, Matthias. It's very relevant. Yes. Yes, it is. Because that was a clear and obvious foul that a horrible referee who was perfectly positioned to see it decided not to call, which changed the course of the game. Oh, I feel better now. I've been, been holding that one in since Saturday. Um, no, but in this case, it was soft. The 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 Sevilla player sold it because he kind of had to because, and he because was he's a Sevilla player and he's a Sevilla player. But he initiated the contact against the striker, and the striker just didn't allow himself to get bullied because the striker is freaking Megatron. So uh, and then how he was able to score the way he did from that angle. That's not normal. I'm no, just sorry. think about the inertia in, in that body yeah. that that I, that's moving away from that goal and, and you still need to like square your hips and all these kinds of things to, to get that ball on target. To me it was a world class goal. And just the, think the about only, the entire entire build up when Royce yeah. wins it in counter pressing and the ball goes to Delaney uh, and he picks out a, a really great uh, forward pass to Dahoud and I, I mentioned the term before from Dahoud to to Haaland and then Haaland cuts inside passes it to the Hazard and then the one two and then yeah yeah some guy bounces off of Haaland's shoulder okay that's that's not it, like uh, yeah. Zane running over Emre Can I'm sorry from behind from yeah. behind. You know, Sonny had no interest in playing the ball and was no way he was going to... Anyway, I'm not getting into that. Um, But that (laughs) goal, the only player I can think of who scores goals like that is a short Argentinian guy who plays in in Barcelona in Lionel Messi. What makes it... Because Lewandowski scores amazing goals, but he doesn't score goals like that. You know, maybe Mbappe does. Cristiano Ronaldo does not score goals like that. He scores thunderous goals, but he doesn't score goals like that. And the thing about Leo Messi is, obviously, he's a smaller, technically gifted player. Holland is a man-child. He's giant. 
compared to Leo, well, compared to anybody. I mean, Michael Royce isn't short and he picked him up like he was a chew toy. <laughs> um, so that's what made it remarkable. And what I hate about that really soft call was that that goal doesn't exist anymore. It For the record books of football, it essentially didn't happen. Including also then, you know, you had to retake the penalty. And even though I hate Bono, not you too, Bono, this Bono. <laughs> um, I mean, he saved two or three re- remarkable shot saves. And that doesn't exist now either. Nor should it because he doesn't deserve that. Because there, Stefan is another reason why I'm looking forward to, I think it's on the 3rd of April for Atleti to kick the shit out of Sevilla, (laughs) is because when Haaland missed his penalty after Bono cheated by coming off the line way too early, Bono then decided to trash talk Haaland. Haaland being the way he is and the way he's wired, which is a little crazy at times, then trash talked Bono. And all of a sudden, all went to hell. And the most important player was Matteo Moray. Yes. Because he saved Holland <laughs> from beating the shit out of uh, Campos, who was ready to beat the shit out of him, kick the crap out of him, because Campos is a dirty player. He is a dirty player. He has a dirty streak. So Matteo Moray, he's the man of the match because he <laughs> saved, he saved uh, Holland, who is twice his size. I, um, I I think when, when yeah. we talk about the resurgence of, or I don't know if resurgence because was there ever resurgence, but uh, uh, if if we talk about uh, Moray and his physical strength, his newfound physical strength, I feel like that almost comes just exclusively from wrestling down Haaland in goal celebrations. <laughs> yeah, and and with physical strength, I mean, the last two three weeks, I don't know what happened to the kid, but all of a sudden he has it. Before that, he got pushed off the ball easily. He got, I mean, like, he looked like uh, Meunier's tiny little kid brother when you look at stature. You know, Meunier is a big dude, and Moray is not. And, uh, but he isn't getting out physical now for the last two, three weeks. I don't know what happened. It's not quite a Leon Goretzka transformation physique wise, <laughs> but, um, it something happened there because it's not just pos- his positioning's gotten better, uh, his crossing's gotten better, which that shocked me. Uh, his technical abilities, uh, fast afoot is no problem. His his defensive awareness has gotten better, and his pressing resistance has gotten better. So he he's not physical off the ball as easily as he was still three <laughs> four weeks ago. Did, didn't someone send you the, the video of where he sort of has a back heel first touch to a teammate from like a Sevilla punt or something completely ridiculous, just like a little uh, a goodie of, of uh, right-back technique. Well, I mean, I I didn't see that, but I'm not surprised. I mean, you can't forget, he is a, a La Masia ta- um, graduate. I mean, he's a Barcelona player, and every Barcelona player, even the keepers, are taught to be technically gifted players. So that that aspect of his game, I had never doubted. It's, you know, the core fundamentals of being a defensive right-back. That's kind of where I had my issues, but he's come on leaps and bounds in an incredibly short period of time. Uh, I hope it continues. Obviously he'll have dips like every player does and he's still very young. So he will have those more frequently. Um, Yeah, but he has established a level of performance that Dortmund can like say, okay, we have something here. 
and you not can like build the, upon that. Yeah, it's 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 not like the uh, the Matthias Zug curse <laughs> where you say just sell him. <laughs> Oh, I learned a motto over what you said. That that that's not even a reverse jinx. That's like a reverse curse. I feel like what what you did to this kid. <laughs> it, it's all in the plan, Stefan. It's sure. all in the sure. plan. Um, no, but I mean, Dortmund have at least serviceable right backs now. Okay, serviceable. I mean, they're not great. They're not in the top echelon of Bundesliga right backs. Neither Moray nor Monier, but they're serviceable. They'll do a job for you. Left back's a different issue. Um, even <laughs> well, though for, Felix Paslak. First I, of all, I, shout out yeah. to my man Nico Schulz for that pass to Haaland in the, I don't know, 30 seconds into the second half, which then resulted in the uh, Torgen Hazard shot that he uh, was more aiming for Marco Reus's head than the uh, the the far post. Um, that that was that was a kind of pass that you would expect from Guerrero, but not exactly from Nico Schulz. And... Uh, I thought that since I've been harping on him quite harshly uh, in recent times, uh, since that was an outstanding uh, moment, I, I should highlight that. Oh, no doubt. I mean, he he played significantly better against Sevilla. Uh, against Bayern, he was abject. I mean, that was bad. That was really, really, really bad. Um, I I put a lot of the blame on on the assist from Sané. On him and the fact that he got out dribbled by Niklas Zule. I still don't quite know how that happened, but it happened more than once. So yeah, three times, I think. Three times. Oh God. Um once is one time too many. Because Niklas Zule is a great central defender. It's not exactly an explosive right back. Uh but and I think he even attempted the most dribbles for Bayern in that match, which is just funny to watch. But anyway. Against Sevilla, no, Nico Schultz played much better. Obviously, the result shows that. And the fact that how Sevilla had to revert to try to create opportunities for themselves shows that overall the team played better. Had they played this exact same way against Bayern, can you say that maybe they don't concede those last two goals? I mean, Bayern are worlds better than Sevilla. There's no doubt about that. I was just going to say, it's a bit hard to compare that. But at the same time, you can't ignore that that no call with Sané had had the effect it had. It, yeah, you know, I mean, that's there's no disputing that uh, in in any shape or form. Yeah, can I circle and, back to the to the VAR real quick because I, uh, you know, it's it's been seven minutes and I feel like this is the perfect opportunity to to talk about this real quick because I wrote it down. So Haaland was fouled by Kunde in the 47th minute, then Haaland scores in the 48th minute, then the ref points to the spot in the 51st minute after reviewing the thing, then Haaland misses the penalty in the 52nd minute, then the referee decides in the 53rd minute that the penalty must be retaken. I think that's that's quite odd. I think that that can only be the VAR that sort of notified him that the goalkeeper was off his line a little bit too far. Then in the 54th minute, the penalty gets retaken finally, um, and if you look at the timestamps, uh, the, the foul uh, that was called for the penalty happened at 46.24 and then uh, the uh, penalty went in at 53.40. So they are whooping 7 minutes and 16 seconds in between those actions. And um, Matthias, you, you've already mentioned how um, nonsensical the VAR is at some uh, points. And I think in, in so many ways it, it was here because... I'll be honest, um, 
in the NFL if there's sort of pass interference, but uh, the wide receiver has not really any chance to get to the ball anyway because it's overthrown or something, uh, I don't really think you need to throw a flag. And uh, similarly, I don't really know if you must call this penalty uh, on Haaland. Yes, he was held. It was a blatant shirt pull, and uh, I can certainly see why this is a penalty call, but uh, this this ball would have never ever reached Haaland. So in, in just the, the spirit of football and sport, I personally, and that's just my personal opinion, wouldn't wouldn't call that, but a foul is a foul, and if it happens in the box, it's a penalty. So by the letter of the law, you, you must give it, I think. Um, and we, we already talked about the uh, shoulder clash, whatever. Um, but the other thing is... Um, this uh, retaking penalty reminds me also a little bit on uh, uh, Wolfgang Sch Wolfgang Stark having uh, uh, a penalty retaken of Nuri Schein against Hoffenheim in 2011, I think it was. Because uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I think it's it's bullshit. <laughs> I think like most penalties, we we'll see the goalkeeper steps in front of his line first a couple of centimeters, and it's not like Bono jumped like had three or four steps. He just had his uh, classic one step ahead. And uh, I, I think his his foot was, uh, his right foot was off the line by 10 centimeters or, or maybe 15. So I think that was more the ref just like feeling bad for Dortmund or, or whatever it was. But I, I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I think this needs to be discussed. I think Dortmund's uh, were a bit lucky that, that this penalty got retaken because... Uh, I've seen so many so many safe penalties and uh this one uh, was to me rather ordinary from from the goalkeeper. I don't think he jumped this that far ahead. And I mean if no, you really want I agree with you. If you really want to be nitpicky, you can also uh, retake it for players running into the box or something. You know, there are penalties where where the other midfielders are already like uh, at the level of the penalty taker by the time he he hits it or so. Um and and those also very rarely get retaken so i i, I feel like that was uh uh the referees feeling a little bit bad that this fantastic goal just got ruled out that's that's it it's just the the, it, the, the magic and the beauty of of the initial goal that that one scored that uh you know created some uh un unconscious biases and in, in the heads of the referees no it's called the football gods of justice and what is right <laughs> and good in the world stefan right um i mean Retaking penalties, unless it's blatant. Uh, I mean, players encroaching. I'm I'm more okay with that because that can you know if you if the keeper does save it, and the defender is a step or two in, then that clear that you know that gives them a huge advantage. A keeper coming off the line a little bit. I mean that that always happens. Um, I remember. Uh, yeah, this year. Well, no, Norwich save would have counted. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean Norwich in the Premier League season before, uh, you know, there there was a match where they had a penalty. I don't remember if it was retaken once or twice, but there were players encroaching and um but they were like in the penalty box before the guy got to the ball. I mean it was it was blatant and obvious. It was extreme. Um but in this case, I just feel like it was justice uh, prevailed in the end because that initial call back from the Holland goal never should have happened because that's not a foul. Holland didn't initiate the contact. Holland didn't get out of his way to foul. You know, a player has a right to be in the space where they are or where they are going. 
Um, and in that instance, I mean, at the end of the day, the right outcome came about. Dortmund yes. got a goal, and you know that's, and Sevilla got knocked out, and that's that's uh, you know good. And at the same time, Juventus got knocked out. So I mean, <laughs> it was just an awesome evening. You know, Agnelli he can stuff it at this point with his Super League crap. So um, I saw somebody say, I, I wonder if he's checking the coefficient to, che- to see if Porto's even allowed to be in the next round. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, it was overall a good evening. Um, and then Leipzig getting knocked out the day after that uh, was also quite nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of nice things, uh, I think I've been urged from listeners to discuss Aiden Tessic once again due to sort of, you know, he... I think you can you can safely say he is the architect of the uh uh round of 18 success in 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 this regard. I think uh, his coaching changes definitely helped Dortmund defeat the Sevilla side over two legs and uh everyone and their dog I think shared the uh the uh video of Tessic celebrating after uh the the final whistle now matthias can you explain again for anyone who hasn't noticed why this guy is so relatable to dortmund fans and uh why this can get a little bit interesting when rose takes over because it feels like a lot of dortmund fans are falling in love with tessage right now well after the Press. I, I don't know if it was after the match against Sevilla or now the pre Hatta uh, um, press conference. I watched them back to back this morning, so they kind of run into each other. The fact that he said that he was in the stands for the Malaga match <laughs> in the Champions League <laughs> as a scout, League, as a scout, like he remembers that match not from the sideline but from the stands. That says everything. That makes Dortmund fans go, oh, Edin. You know, it's like, it, it, because, because he's one of us. You know, I mean, ch- fans always chant that if a player comes through the ranks and stuff like that. But Edin Terzic is one of us. He grew up 30 kilometers away in the Zawalant. Uh, he is a Dortmund, you know, they always say, oh, he, he slept in the Dortmund um, Bettwäsche in the, the Dortmund sheets. He probably did uh, because he is a lifelong Borussia Dortmund fan and he cares. And that passionate outburst that he had after they won that match, Dortmund hasn't seen that from a coach since Jürgen Klopp. The big difference is this means more to Terzic than any win meant for Klopp because Dortmund means more to Terzic than Dortmund meant to Klopp, which is a big statement, but it just means something more because Terzic even said, you know, yeah, a year without fans and God, my parents can't be in the stadium for this. You know, I mean, like his parents being there to watch their kid coach his team that he grew up loving. I mean, that moment, unfortunately, is lost. And that that's that's the tra- a tragedy of the pandemic that uh, unfortunately he'll never get back um, yet. <laughs> we'll see how Marco Rosa does next season. <laughs> so maybe maybe he will. You never know. I hope not because we only want success. Um, right. But uh, and I know on WhatsApp I kind of said uh, uh, to you kind of tongue in cheek is Tezic the better Rosa, but that he he is 
a hundred percent responsible for, like you said, for this win, for the Leipzig win. He's also responsible for some of the losses because he made bonehead substitutions, you know, like Bellingham Mukoko. Still don't understand that one. Don't know if he'll ever explain it to us. Um, but the Bayern match actually, Dortmund losing the way they did at the end, I think kind of probably helped them for this one because the way Dortmund set up was very similar, but they didn't obviously then concede those two goals at the end uh, to to lose the whole tie. Uh, they were able to do what they needed to do. Yeah, they also and didn't make, make subs like taking off and bringing on Heine and, and stuff correct. like that. Correct. I mean, Dortmund only made three substitutions uh, again against Sevilla, while Sevilla, I think, uh, made all five again. You know, it was Paslak on for Hazard in the 67th minute, then you had Zagadou for Schultz in the 89th, and then you had Meunier for Moray. But, uh, Matthias, b- before we conclude the uh, Sevilla game, um, yep. I just want to get a quick update on your heart rate between the 95th minutes when uh, Yusuf and the series scored the second one and... Uh, Whenever the final whistle was blown, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he let it was ninety six. I mean, it was six minutes extra time or added time, and I think it was like near the ninety seventh minute when he finally blew it. It was just like, oh god, just 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 end it. I, I mean, I could almost not watch. It was uh, especially this one it, scramble it was, in the box that Sevilla then oh, still had. <laughs> I know, <laughs> and where the Sevilla player was positioned for a shot and he passed, and I I was like. Why didn't you shoot? You, I mean, there's no way hits is saving that from there. You hadn't, I mean, and he passed. That was that was the that was the saving grace for Dortmund right there. Because I think if it goes into extra time, it would have started to get really tough. Um, even though then Tazic could have brought in fresh legs, and Sevilla cannot, and that you know that there's something to be said for that. I think Tazic only making three subs makes sense tactically. Because when you're playing so well, you don't want to disrupt the flow, you know, where you make up your team and where they are in key positions. And he didn't really have any other options. And why take off certain players? Leave Holland in there. At least he's tall. So if you're dealing with clearances, he can deal with it, which he did actually quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, so not doing all five subs, I'm perfectly fine with it in this case. Um, Sevilla taking all five subs makes sense. They're chasing a result. So they've got to try everything. Dortmund didn't have to try everything. They just had to get it over with at that point. Um, and one thing, you know, to conclude also on Tezic, where they talked to him this week or last about... Uh, you know, Dortmund's playing more pressing, uh, higher up the pitch, counter-pressing than they did under Favre. And he said, yes, it's true. It's not entirely there where we need it to be. It's getting better. We need to do it more consistently or for longer periods of time. And that mm-hmm. kind of alludes back to something we talked about a few weeks ago of there's still so much Favre, maybe even a little bit of Stöger, I don't know. But definitely <laughs> uh, Favre, tactical... DNA in this team that they revert back to it and it's just taking a while to get the confidence and basically get that other stuff out of your head and out of your body I mean you're you're talking about muscle memory as well and it's getting there bit by bit so I'm glad he talked about it that's the other reason why I think so many people like Tazic because even his press conferences remind you a little bit of Klopp in the sense of there's uh, passion there. There's enthusiasm there. There's honesty and feedback there. I mean, Favre 
I like the man immensely. I think he's one of the nicest people, but his press conferences were boring. You know, Bush's press conferences are boring. Stuttgart's press conferences were interesting-ish just because he's a nice enough guy, but there was really nothing there. Tazic tells you what he's thinking and why he's thinking that. Some of that may be naivete, um, but at the same time, I appreciate that, and I'm pretty sure a lot of Dortmund fans appreciate and journalists, I'm damn sure appreciate that. Yeah, I'm appreciating right now your Thomas Tuchel memory hole, <laughs> which is fair enough, though. Um, but uh, yeah, that's I, too long ago. There aren't that many players well, still around invoke, from the Tuchel time. Jürgen Klopp, you can invoke Thomas Tuchel. All, this is all I'm saying. But um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna add one grain of salt though because uh, it's it it feels a bit like an intensive honeymoon right now. But on the other hand, if you look at, you know, what I talked about at the very beginning, you know, pass accuracy and stuff like that, um, Dortmund against the ball, I think, are okay right now. And the pressing is good and creating counterattacks from pressing and uh, from their turnovers, I think, is improving. I think we saw that against Bayern, we saw that in the Champions League, we saw that against Gladbach, the uh, the amount of chances that Dortmund create on the counter and how free-flowing it is and... Uh, how quick they play it in the transition, obviously adding Dahoud uh, helps, having Hazard helps, having uh, Guerrero helps, and obviously Jane Sancho when he's fit helps massively, and Haaland obviously, uh, we don't really have to talk about that. But um, I, I think overall the, the problem for Dortmund will be that they need to get back to become a more dominant possession team, because otherwise they will always struggle to break down uh smaller sites and uh, I don't think we're seeing this quite yet from Tersic and the other thing is obviously that um, Marco Rose at Gladbach right now is in a phase where we're not seeing that from Gladbach so that's that's a worry I have a little bit on the back burner um, for the sort of uh, general outlook on what Borussia Dortmund is from a footballing perspective but uh, all that being said I'm just very glad that you see a team right now that just leaves it all out there and uh, gets the job done and uh, you know however tense it was in the end uh, Dortmund do have a little bit of sporting success to celebrate like Thomas Eleni uh, with this Freudian slip revealing that he's having a little beer which I think is uh, appropriate at, at that point because players really do need to to celebrate that because in sport uh, like we said it's 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 not a uh, a thing that happens every day for Dortmund to reach a quarterfinal, and I don't know who they'll draw, but um, these are two more games uh, that you can enjoy, and obviously for for Erling Haaland to to write more history. And I mean, we we obviously have to mention it that uh, now he is uh, the player that has scored the most Champions League goals before turning 21, the youngest player to score 20 Champions League goals, the fewest games to score 20 Champions League goals. First player to score 10 or more goals in the first two seasons each in the Champions League and first player in USL history to score two or more goals in four straight games. So that's the level of consistency that we've literally never seen before with uh, Messi, Ronaldo and such uh, and Lewandowski, I think we can add in that uh, and another uh, like like all kinds of different legends being being in this competition. So just just think about what Haaland is achieving right now and how exceptional and world-class it is. And it's such a great shame that uh, there are no fans in the stands to 
maybe even Egemon to do a little better, Matthias. That's just, you know, if, if you just, just oh, yeah. ponder on these yeah, statistics, it's just out of this world. Yeah, and, and that Malaga moment, unfortunately, didn't happen against Sevilla because there's nobody in the stadium. Obviously, the Malaga match was even more dramatic. But uh, the it, it would have been the purest form of Borussia Dortmund insanity in that stadium that night. And I honestly think um, with fans there, I don't know if Sevilla would have scored two goals, if I'm perfectly honest, because of the psychological impact, proven psychological impact that stadiums like that can have on opposition fan uh, opposition players. It's... You know, there there's something there to be said. And that was brought up in, in one of the press conferences with Tazic. And he said, yeah, obviously it impacts us more than a lot of other teams because, you know, uh, the Spanstadion is full once you turn on the lights. I mean, it's it's just that kind of a place. And to not have that, yeah, that that is some that's a it's an advantage that Dortmund would usually have that they don't have, whereas teams like Hoffenheim and Wolfsburg, like, who gives a crap? You know, I mean, like, they, they're not there because of the fans. The fans don't do it for them, uh, even though even their few fans probably do more now than than none. But still, it's nowhere near the same impact. Yeah. I, I think we can end on one positive note for Sevilla. It's that their six yellow cards won't carry into the next game because they've been knocked out. Bidim. So do those carry into next season? Uh, No. That's no? okay. basically what I'm trying to say here. Bummer. Yeah, so uh but but on a different <laughs> note, Haaland obviously now the only uh Dortmund player that has two yellow cards in the Champions League, and I think uh the next is so basically what I'm trying to say is if he gets booked in the next game, he would miss the second left leg of the quarterfinal, which would be a shame. Obviously, uh the yellow wall uh, the yellow wall the yellow cards are being wiped clean. If you reach the semi-final, which I don't know, it's, uh, it's probably nothing we have to worry about just yet. But um, just just putting it out there. Anyway, Matthias, uh, we've uh, been uh, talking for almost an hour now and we have not mentioned the uh, Saturday game yet. Which is obviously... Well, didn't you say 10 minutes Hertha, 50 minutes Sevilla, or was it the other way around? I can't remember. <laughs> that's, that's what I wrote <laughs> tongue-in-cheek on WhatsApp to you. Um, but yeah, obviously Hertha Berlin are uh, 15th place right now in the Bundesliga. They have only five wins so far this season and only two in this calendar year. Uh, one of them obviously coming against Schalke and the other one against Augsburg just last weekend uh, where they came back from a, a 1-0 deficit. Um yeah, what to say about them? I mean, the best scorers are Kunja and Piatek. Both have scored six to their, uh, both have scored six, and Vladimir Darida is their best assist provider. And obviously, uh, in the first meeting between those two teams, when Dortmund won five to two, Kunja provided both goals, and Haaland scored four, and Giri added one. Now, uh, Kunja, sadly for Hertha, is uh, not there. He's injured uh, for Dortmund. Um, Tessic gave an update today. He said that Akanji is set to return to partial team training tomorrow, but he won't make it this weekend. Guerrero and Reyna are being evaluated daily, but the Hertha match may come too soon for them as well. They are making progress. And then, as for Sancho, he said, we're not expecting Jaden to return before the international break. So, yeah, that's obviously not the greatest news in personnel. I mean, for Hertha, uh, they're without Boyata, Kidira, and Kunja, as I mentioned before. 
according to Kicker. So um, yeah, this is a game, obviously, Matthias, where Dortmund go back to the old bread and butter or meat and potatoes or however you want to call it after an exuberant Champions League night. And obviously, in that regard, it's great that uh, the Champions League night was on Tuesday because it gives one more day to recuperate. Um, how do you expect this game to go? Because Hertha, from all I've seen and heard, have been pretty god-awful rec uh, recently. But they uh, had a recent coaching change and uh, reinstalling Paul Dardai. So what to make of the Capital Club coming to the football capital, as they say in Dortmund? Uh, big city club coming to <laughs> Dortmund. Um, so Hertha, so I I rate Paul Dadai as a coach, um, also because he cares about Hertha. Um, the problem, the mistake Hertha made was firing Paul Dadai because he was consistently getting them into Europa League or close to Europa League, but playing pretty, I'm going to say, dull football, Wolfsburg-type football, like they're playing under Glasna, you know, defensively stable, nothing crazy, you know, it's not easy-on-the-eye-type football. Um, uh, Workman-like football, if you want to call it that. Um, but he was getting the results, he leaves or gets fired and everything just kind of fell apart for Hanta ever since then. He is now in that, I'd say not similar position as Tanzic, but he's trying to bring in his style of football with a team that a has no team cohesion because they've just been kind of thrown together because the name sounded cool uh, for money. Um, and he's trying to get all the crap that was there the previous two years out of their system to play his style of football. And honestly, it's just not going to happen this season. He needs a full summer. The advantage that Hatta have in the uh, relegation battle is that Arminia Bielefeld hired Frank Kramer. So uh, that definitely helps Hatta because I just don't think Frank Kramer is that good of a coach. And Arminia Bielefeld are playing really badly now, at least under Uwe Neuhaus, there was something there. So with that being said, they are in a relegation battle, but I don't think they will get relegated. But I also don't... It's not a team that I'm worried about. It's not a team that I fear. Yeah, they beat Augsburg, but Augsburg has, have been on a very strong decline over the last couple of months. So, yeah, I I don't envy Paul Dada's job that he has to do there. It's going to be difficult for them. I think also against a Dortmund side that's kind of full of brimming with confidence... And the Dortmund side that pushed that Bayern result right out of their head. I mean, it didn't seem to phase them at all. And that's a huge, huge bonus seeing Dortmund, like, being able to, you know, digest what happened against Bayern and move on and not 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 care. But I think you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, kind of like, all right, off. next job, next yeah. job. And I think that is something we haven't seen in a while from Dortmund. And that doesn't help Hatta. Now, Hatta has a little bit of confidence because they finally won again. But they're under more pressure than Dortmund in that sense, in my opinion. Yes, Dortmund need to get top four ideally. But given how the teams are playing around them, they could still get in there. Whereas Hatta, if, if Dortmund don't get in Champions League or even don't get in Europa League, it's not going to be the end of the world for a season. Um, it may actually benefit them to a degree when it comes to fatigue for players. Whereas for Hertha, they're fighting for survival with a team where a lot of those players, kind of like Schalke in the sense of 
Yeah, they're not really there for a scrap. They're there for a payday and ideally go to the Champions League and move away from Hatta. Uh, whereas teams like Augsburg and Mainz and so on, they're more equipped to deal with that with their players. So I think this is this season's Paldadai Hatta is going to be easier, easier for Dortmund to beat than next season's Paldadai's Hatta. Yeah, I think that's uh, very likely. Um... Right now, obviously, Dortmund, uh, due to the loss against Bayern, are four points of the first Champions League spot. Luckily, Wolfsburg did lose against Hoffenheim, but obviously, I don't know if Dortmund are in a position to catch them since Wolfsburg are six points away from Dortmund and they seem to be a team that's pretty consistent. And just as you mentioned, Leverkusen no longer have to deal with that uh, European football and obviously Frankfurt are a very solid and stable team as well. So um, Dortmund in sixth place right now on 39 points. Leverkusen have 40 and Frankfurt 43. So Dortmund are now in the territory with 10 games left in the Bundesliga where they must not allow themselves any slip-ups. And they will obviously still play a lot of uh, good teams. I think they still play uh, Leipzig, Wolfsburg, Frankfurt and Leverkusen. All of them, yep. So this is going to be one hell of a ride for, for them, obviously. And the next two games are against Hertha Berlin and then against Cologne. So these, just I'll, I'll say plainly, these must be six points. Now the question, Matthias, is obviously, um, we've talked about the great hustle that Dortmund showed against Sevilla, and I'm sure um, that caused a couple more knocks and a little bit more fatigue. I've mentioned the six yellow cards. Um, you know, <laughs> Bellingham had to suffer a lot of fouls. Haaland got, uh, you know, he ate an elbow. Uh, all these kinds of things happen. Obviously, a lot of muscle injuries are going around for, for many teams right now. Um, how do you think Dortmund can responsibly throw on the rotation machine without uh, dropping a result? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the big question. Um, I mean, maybe this is a match where Zagadou starts. Uh, next to Hummels, and hmm. so then yeah, Tesic was asked today about yeah. uh, rotating Hummels because he has played pretty much every game, and uh, you know he's not the youngest either. What do you yeah, think I, of that uh, uh, Zagadou John center back I, lineup? I was thinking more Zagadou would come in for John <laughs> than for Hummels at this point. Um, you know it's it's hard because Dortmund are a little skint in certain positions. I mean, you could bring in Julian Brandt and Gio Reyna. This may be the right types of matches to, to bring them back into the fold. Um, but then you look at the squad and you're like, well, who else is fit? I mean, maybe you start Felix Paslak, even though he's great coming off the bench, in my opinion. Uh, there's not really a ton of room for rotation. I mean, as far as I know, Sancho and Guerrero are still out. That's correct. Yep. Not, yeah. I mean, so, Guerrero is doubtful, but still, I, yeah, I think he But basically out. I, I don't think they'll risk him. But you have Guerrero out, Sancho out, Akanji's still out. So, I mean, you don't really have a lot of options to rotate defensively. I mean, you could, I guess you could play Paslak and Meunier instead of Moray and Schultz. Um, if you need to rotate. And then in central midfield... Um, I mean, if you're going to bring in, if you want to rotate, yeah, you know, it's hard, Stefan. There's just not too many key players are out that you don't have a ton of options. I mean, maybe you bring in Brandt. I could see that. 
and maybe start Gio Reyna just to give um, Royce a breather as yeah. an example. And you could start Hazard and then take him off and bring on Royce later in the match so that Hazard doesn't have to last a full 90 because he's still rebuilding his fitness. So those are some of the options I could see happening. But yeah, the the amount of options is pretty pretty short. Yeah, the only good news for once is that Dortmund don't have a midweek game. But that's that's about it after after they had her game. Then I think it's the Cologne match, and then there's the international break. And uh, from how it looks and sounds like, Mats Hummels will be going to that one too. So, um, yeah, it's going to be difficult for Tassic to find uh, moments, especially in this stage of the season where every every game feels a bit like a final. Uh, to to give breaks, but obviously you must do that because otherwise you have the uh, issue that you now have with uh, Guerrero and Sancho being out, which are big big losses. So yeah, don't want need to, as we say in Germany, bite into the sour apple <laughs> and rotate a couple of guys. I I just don't see uh, a, a way past that. Obviously that will uh, make things a little bit more dicey because Hertha Berlin. Even though uh, they have been quite atrocious um, individually, I don't think they're a, a, ter- a terrible team, and I think they uh, can really punish you on their day. The only problem for Hatter is that uh, they haven't had too many good days, and they made a million comical tactical issues um, when you watch them and uh, the way they concede goals. There's usually spaces open that should never be open. That's uh, been very on point for Hatta, but uh, you know them coming to Dortmund has has been a bit funny uh, in in recent years. So um, yeah, I'm not I'm not entirely sure what to make of it. Obviously, Dortmund need to win this, but uh, I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park at all after after this Champions League game. I I think a lot of Dortmund players will will feel their legs. So hopefully, Dortmund can uh, decide this rather early in, instead of leaving it to like the 60th minute to to open the scoring or whatnot agreed all right then i guess it's time for predict chance mm-hmm. what are you picking uh well obviously i'm gonna go with a dot one win um two to one yeah yeah i was feeling that for the severe game already um but uh i don't I, d- I don't know. The, the the thing is, if Dortmund find their groove a little bit against Hertha, then uh, they can run up the score quite easily, as we've seen uh, in the in the previous meeting when it was uh, like five two game in the end. Uh, so I'm just gonna say three to one. I I, I think that Marvin Hitz not gonna keep a clean sheet, um, but at the same time, uh, I I do hope that Dortmund punish Hertha for their mistakes, which I hope will come. And with that, Matthias, I think uh, we have concluded. Uh, the celebration of reaching the uh, quarterfinal and a little outlook on what's ahead next Saturday. And with that, I thank you for coming on. Please tell our listeners where to find you on the internet. You you, you can find me on the internet, on the Twitters, at Matthias Uck. You can find me at Stefan Wutzko and you can find all of us on Twitter and Facebook at Pod. If you want to subscribe to this podcast in the various means and ways, please go to theyellowwall.net to find all the ways you can subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, etc. If you want to contribute financially, go to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash theyellowwall. And uh, 
everything else we shall discuss next week. Until then, as always, stay safe, thank you for listening and goodbye.